Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you want more information about Bethel Assembly, please go to our website, BethelAssembly.info. Thanks again. How many of you are ready for the message this morning? Amen. Let me, let me tell you a little story. Um, it was the day before Thanksgiving. A father, an elderly gentleman in Phoenix, Arizona, made a phone call to his son in New York. And the phone call went something like this. Son, I, I hate to ruin your day, but I have to tell you something this morning. Your mother and I are getting a divorce. 45 years of miser- miserable life with that woman is all that I can handle. We're sick of one another, so call your sister in Chicago and let her know the wedding, the marriage, the life together, all of this is over. Well, frantic, the son calls his older sister and he says, Sis, you are not going to believe what dad just told me. He said that mom and him are getting a divorce. He's tired of it all. I don't know what to do. Well, the sister is frantic. How many of you have ever really seen an older sister frantic? That's the deal here. This sister in Chicago, she says, not on my watch, not today, not tomorrow, not ever. This is not going to happen. I'm calling dad. I'll get this taken care of. So she called Phoenix immediately. She spoke to her dad. She said, you are not getting a divorce. Don't do a single thing until I get there. I'm calling my brother back. The two of us will be there tomorrow morning, first thing. Until then, don't do a single thing. The dad hung up the phone and hollered into the spare bedroom, Honey, good news, the kids are coming home for Thanksgiving and they're paying their own way. (laughs) What are you thankful for this Thanksgiving season? What are you thankful for this holiday season? Many of you, over the last several days, spent some time with your family and your friends. You sat around the table. You probably ate more turkey than you should have eaten. If you're like me, I've been trying to to watch what I'm eating, but my wife uh, made pumpkin pie. I must say I have fallen off the wagon. I have consumed my weight in pumpkin pie. But that is okay. There's always another day. In fact, I, at one moment this week, I said, hey, tomorrow I'm going to get back on this watching what I'm eating thing. I'm going to start doing really good at this again. And my daughter said, yeah, tomorrow you'll say the next day I'll get back. And then not very supportive. But I am thankful for my family. Many of you, you sat around with your family. You, you shared memories. You shared time together. For our family, we sat around and played games together, board games and, and different games, and just enjoyed one another's company. But I, I wonder for you, has Thanksgiving become more than just a moment in time? Has Thanksgiving just become more than a, a day off work? Has Thanksgiving become more than a date? on your calendar. This morning, I want to take some time and I want to process through one of my favorite books of the Bible, the book of Philippians. Here we find a gentleman by the name of Paul. And by the way, Paul has a a great story. I encourage you to go back and and read his life-changing experience of what God radically did in him. But in this moment, Paul is sitting in jail 
He, he's sitting there because he has been sharing the message of Jesus Christ. He's been thrown in jail, but he takes a moment to write this encouraging letter to the people of Philippi. And he encourages them twofold. Number one, he says, I encourage you to press forward in your relationship with God. But he goes on to say, but I also want you to encourage one another to be grateful and, and thankful in all situations, in all circumstances. I ask you today, are you pressing forward in your relationship with God? Look back over the last year. Are you closer to God now than you were then? What about those around you? Have you pressed in for a deeper relationship with those around you? That's one reason we've launched life groups. We want to grow holistically as a church. We want to grow in our relationship with God. We want to get to know Him in a greater way. We want to, as Paul encouraged, we want to press forward in our walk with Christ. But we also want to grow in our relationship with one another, to get to know one another. How many of you would agree with me today that we're not good enough by ourselves? We need one another. The Bible says very clearly, it's not good for man to be alone. We need one another. I ask you today, are you pressing forward in your walk with Christ? In the midst of this chaos that we call life, have you learned to be thankful in all circumstances? Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Look at that. Whatever happens. Now, he doesn't say when everything is going great. When life is playing fair, when everything is lined up where it needs to be, when all the bills are paid and you have excess left over, when everybody in the house is physically well, he doesn't put disclaimers on this, but he says, whatever happens in life, whatever obstacles you're confronted with, whatever troubles are in front of you, whatever problems you face, whatever you're dealing with in life, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Can you say that's the case in your life? Honestly, can you say that no matter what happens, you're going to rejoice in the Lord? Can I be honest with you? There are some things in life that just irritate me. Anybody else? I pulled into Walmart the other night. Why? I don't know. <laughs> but I pulled into Walmart and, and parked my car, and somebody had abandoned a cart. That just frustrates me. I mean, there is a cart rack every 50 feet. But right here in the middle of no man land, somebody has placed a cart. I'll be honest with you, moments like that, I, I don't necessarily rejoice. I grab that card, and I'm like... <laughs> In fact, the other night, I grabbed a card, and I'm like, that's okay, I'll get it. And my wife goes, you're a pastor. <sighs> right. 
Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Here the word rejoice literally means to be glad, to rejoice exceedingly, to thrive. We're not just talking about a, a little celebration, but thriving in the moment and through the situation. So how do we get there? How do we come to that place? Here again, Paul is, is sitting in prison for sharing the good news of Christ. And in the midst of all of this, he says, hey guys, here's what you need to do. No matter what goes on in your life, you need to rejoice. You need to thrive in the Lord. Well, the good news for you and for me today is the book of Philippians is just jam-packed with insightful knowledge that will aid us in discovering the best mode of attack. And, and Paul doesn't hold back. Almost right out of the gate here in Philippians chapter 1, he begins to encourage them. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. You see, we, like Paul, have an opportunity in life of how we will respond to any given situation. We, like Paul, have, have an option of what we will do when other people come to mind. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Paul was a constant pursuer of Jesus. Instead of having this spiritual and emotional roller coaster of ups and downs, depending on what was happening with the circumstances and the struggles and the difficulties he faced, he went right on steadily doing the work that God has called him to do, to serve Jesus and to encourage others. His personal reference at the conclusion of this letter verifies to you and to me that, that Paul saw himself not as a victim of circumstance. Listen carefully, we are not victims of circumstance. Yes, you may have been dealt a really rough hand of cards. You may be facing all sorts of junk in life, but you are not a victim of your circumstance. The Bible says that because of Christ and the price that he paid, we are victors over our circumstances. Like three of you agreed with me on that. No matter what obstacles we come against, the Bible is very, very clear. We don't fall into the victim moments. But in and through it all, that's how we can be rejoicing. That's how we can celebrate. That's how we can thrive no matter what goes on. Because we are a victor over that situation. Paul says in Philippians 4.11, I can accept all things. In Philippians 4.13, I can do all things. In Philippians 4.18, I have all things. Paul did not have to be pampered to be content. Wow, we live in a generation today where we have to be pampered to be content. He found his contentment in the spiritual resources readily, abundantly provided to him by Christ. He says, every time you come to mind, I give God thanks for you. How do we come to that place? How do we, we move from this mentality of victim? 
How do we move from this mentality of you've got to pamper me into the understanding of thanksgiving no matter what the situation may be? How do we come to that place of being thankful in and through the circumstances? How do we come to that place of being grateful and rejoicing with people? This morning, very quickly, I want to give you two keys that I believe will unlock the door leading us to that place of thanksgiving. Number one is this. Thanksgiving is a learned response. Thanksgiving is a learned response. In other words, thanksgiving is not natural. If you don't believe me, volunteer in the nursery one Sunday morning. Learned here literally means learn by experience. Paul's spiritual contentment was not something he had immediately after being saved. It wasn't. He's walking down the road to Damascus and suddenly he has an encounter with God and God blinds his eyes. He goes, wow, I'm thankful. It was a learned response. Learned by experience, learned by going through difficult moments, learned by facing obstacles. He learned how to be content. And Paul wants us to, wants to make it very clear this morning that his contentment was in fact learned. He, he in fact believes it so much that he repeats it twice. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, and then in 12. I have learned learned by experience, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Verse 12, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Have you learned the heart of thanksgiving? Have you learned what it means to be grateful in and through the struggles of life? Have you learned how to be grateful for those around you? Or have you found yourself victim to the circumstance? I think Paul stresses here that he learned to be content for a couple of reasons. Number one is this, Thanksgiving is not our natural response. You see, we have this old sinful nature that defaults to the idea of envy and coveting and greed. I was reading an article online yesterday. Actually, my wife was reading the article and I was listening. And, and it shared that this gentleman had found in a storage unit that he purchased for, I think, around 500 bucks, a safe. And as he took that safe to a locksmith to get it open, the first locksmith couldn't open it, the second one opened it up, and inside that safe, believe it or not, was approximately $5.6 million. Almost instantly after purchasing the storage unit, he was called by an attorney of the person that owned the storage unit prior to him. And they wanted to make a deal of how to get back this $5.6 million. 
They ended up settling for like one point something million and, and made the exchange. But I'm wondering, where would we have defaulted there? Oftentimes in life, we default to envy or coveting or greed. Whatever I can get out of this. What's in it for me? But a genuine heart of thanksgiving is something that we must learn and diligently work toward. Come on, look at this. We learn it, but we diligently have to work toward it. The second thing I see is this. To learn something, we have to practice it regularly. I did some research on habits. One site that I said, actually a few sites that I saw, said that it takes 21 days to establish a new habit. Another site said, well, it actually could take upwards of two months to establish a new habit. And I wonder, are we willing, for the sake of thanksgiving, are we willing to work diligently for the three weeks or upwards of two months in order to establish this heart of thanksgiving that Paul references over and over and over in the book of Philippians. It's not just doing it once. It's not just doing it twice, but over and over and over again. Learn to be content. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight quite honestly, is probably more of an issue than we would like to admit. But Paul says, I have learned what it means to be content. I've worked through all of the thoughts. I've worked through all of the responses. I, I've worked through all of my behaviors. And I've come to this place and I, and I understand what it means to be content. See, our society so bombards, bombards us with just the opposite. Don't be content with what you have. Oh, you got an iPhone 7? You only have an iPhone 7? I remember when I was a kid. I mean, my idea of the iPhone was that little googly-eyed phone that you pull around with the red handle. You guys remember that thing? It was called an iPhone because it had eyeballs. Now we have nine-year-olds going, I need a phone. We've got adults going, I, I can't have an iPhone 7. I need the brand new one. Some of you are like, I don't even want an iPhone. I want an Android. I'm sorry. Sorry. That's a tangent. There you go. Let me move on. We've got to learn what it means to have a heart of Thanksgiving because that's not natural. It's going to take some hard work on, on your part. It's going to take some persevering. It's going to take some doing over and over and over, day in and day out, until we establish this heart and this attitude of thanksgiving. The second key, the second way to open up this door is, I must learn to be content. The word content here actually means contained. It's the description of a man whose resources are within him so that he does not have to depend upon the substitutes on the outside. Let me say that again. 
It's the description of the man whose resources are within him so that he doesn't have to depend upon the substitutes on the outside. How often do we depend upon the substitutes in life? Over and over we depend upon the substitute, trying to find something to fill that void, trying to find something that's going to give us that happiness for a moment, trying to find something that's going to give us that assurance for a moment, something that we can wrap our arms around. But every single time we reach outward, we're finding a substitute that's not going to last long. It's a temporary fix. The Greek word for content is the word self-sufficient. But for the Christian, the good news is this. It's not found in just who I am. But my self-sufficiency is found in Christ, in Christ alone. The moment I receive him as my Lord and Savior, suddenly he inhabits all that I am. He takes residence in all that I am. And suddenly he's contained inside of me. And suddenly in those moments, in those situations, in those circumstances, I can learn to be content because I'm resting upon that which is within me, which is Jesus. Philippians 4.13 says, I am sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Not in my sufficiency, not in your sufficiency, but in Jesus who gave me life. In Jesus who gave me a better way. To be content, what does it mean? By definition, it's mentally or emotionally satisfied with things as they are. Are you satisfied with things as they are? Can you say that I've learned what it means to be content and and having an abundance or having nothing at all? That's where Paul found himself. Can you say I've processed through all of this and I've learned what it means to emotionally and mentally settle in with what I have, with what Christ has supplied in my life? Another definition is peace of mind, mental or emotional satisfaction. But I love Paul's definition the best, probably the the simplest of them all. He simply says this, I'm not in need. That's Paul's definition. I'm not in need. What we're talking about this morning is not happiness, See, happiness, as we understand it, is based upon the happenings around us. Everything lining up just right. Everything working out just as we desire it to work out. Happiness is based on happiness and happenings around me. What we're referring to this morning is a a process of understanding that the true thankful heart comes as a result of learning to be content. So I want to give you four approaches. We've got the keys, we've, we've unlocked the door, we've opened up that door, and now as we approach this heart of thanksgiving, what does that look like? Number one is this, move your focus from self 
to others. Move focus, move your focus from self to others. The first thing that I see occurring right out of the gate here is Paul has learned to shift the focus from self to others. He could have said on the first whole chapter, oh, feel sorry for me. Look at me right now. You all are out there. You all are free. You all are living life. But here I am in jail. I'm chained up. I'm bound up. I can't get out of here. You need to feel sorry for me. Look at my situation. Look at my circumstances. But that's not what he does. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Look at the whole context here. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with what? Joy. Every time I cry out to God for you, I I cry out with a joy in my heart. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue His work until the finally is finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of God's good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Now look at this. I pray that your love will overflow more and more. And that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. The righteous character produced in you, in your life by Jesus Christ. For you will bring much glory and praise to God. Look at that. He says, in the midst of where I am today, in the midst of my imprisonment, I give thanks to God for you. I pray that God will do a work in your life. I pray that your love will continue to grow for one another. I pray that you will grow in knowledge. I pray that God's character will be established in your life. I pray that that character will be evident in all that you say and all that you do. Paul, in that moment, learned what it meant to be content he learned what it meant to have a heart of thanksgiving he moved the focus from self to others and i ask you today where is your focus today it's so easy to to focus in on on self yes It's so easy to see the difficulty, the obstacles, and suddenly the fall into this victim mentality. Oh, 
Look at my miserable life. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Think I'll just eat worms. Right? Woe is me. Now, I'm not belittling your situation, your circumstance. But I'm, what I'm trying to remind you of this morning is the Bible doesn't say that you were a victim to those circumstances. But because of the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross of Calvary, we are more than conquerors. We are victors over the circumstance. We have a relationship with the one that paves a brand new way for us. Does he promise it to be easy? No. Paul was sitting in prison. But Paul says, I've learned what it means to be content. Because I, I depend on that which I contain within me. That's Jesus Christ, my Lord. In chapter 2, Paul says, work to show the results of your salvation. Are you showing the results of your salvation? When that card is left in the middle of a Walmart parking lot, Chris, are you showing the results of your salvation? Your boss isn't really polite to you. Are you showing the results of your salvation? When you get those irritating solicitor calls on your phone ten times in one day, come on somebody, are you showing the results of your salvation? See, our second approach is this. The first approach is move the focus. The second is model your actions after Jesus. See, Paul tells us in, in the second chapter of Philippians, verse 5, he says, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. You must have the same attitude as our Savior. You must have. There's an important word there. Must. It's imperative. We have to resemble Jesus. I would venture to say that it's impossible to live a Christian life apart from striving to resemble Christ. Let me say that again. It's impossible to live a Christian life. Now, we can play the Christian game, right? We, we can come to church. We can carry a Bible. We can even play Caleb. But it's impossible to live the Christian life apart from striving to resemble Christ. In fact, a Christian that does not resemble Jesus does not exist. Let that sink in for a moment. How can I make such a statement? Well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, test yourselves and find out if you really are true to your faith. If you pass the test, 
you will discover that Christ is living in you. But if Christ isn't living in you, guess what? You have failed. If you don't see Christ oozing out of you, the Holy Spirit produces a special fruit in you, the characteristics of Christ. Paul talked about those characteristics just a few moments ago as we read that. If we're not seeing that come out, Paul says, I question, is he even there? If you run the test, if you do the work, but you don't see Jesus in you, guess what? You have failed. One translation says, if you failed, do something about it. We're called to be a representative of Christ. In the second chapter of Philippians, Paul says, work hard to show the result of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you. God's doing his work. Are you doing yours? God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Wow. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Let me ask you, is modeling after Christ going to be easy? No. No, because we live in a world of crooked and perverse people. It's not going to be easy, but that's what we're called to do. Do the hard work. Push forward. Change the focus. Model after Jesus. Don't complain about every little thing that happens. How often has the Christian been summed up as being the negative crank? Oh, all they are are religious, pious people. All they want to do is shake their finger at everything, right? Let's start a new trend. Let's change that stereotype. Let's begin to model after Jesus. See, sometimes I think we model after the Pharisee. We, we model after the legalism. We model after the structure and the tradition, the rules of to-dos and to-don'ts. And when it doesn't fall in that, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Right? But Paul says, why not try the opposite? You see, Paul had been on that religious side. He was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He was good at being a Pharisee. Come on. But he learned that that wasn't the proper way. What he needed to do is model his life after Jesus to resemble Jesus. Number three, gain a better perspective. 
our opening scripture, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Paul took some time to truly understand what was important. He said in chapter 3, verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable. What things? The, the religious, the pious, the, the rules, the structure, the legalism, all of these things. I used to think that these were important. But I've begun to gain a new perspective. I remember when Chandler was just probably three years old. We were sitting in the living room and he was sitting on the couch. And suddenly I look up and he's sitting on the arm of the couch at this point. And, and I said, what are you doing, buddy? He said, well, Dad, right now I'm gaining a new perspective on life. Three-year-old. I'm gaining a new perspective. What he meant was, I'm seeing life from a brand new place. I wonder how many of us need to begin to see life from a brand new place. What is it that you see as valuable today? Your rights? Your preferences? Your religion? Your tradition? Your stuff? What is it that you see as important? Paul says, I used to look at these things. I used to think they were important, but not anymore. I, I've gained a new perspective on life. I, I'm looking at things through a, a new set of lenses, and I challenge you today, begin to look at life from a new set of lenses. Begin to look at it through the lenses of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let your heart beat as His beats. Let your life resemble Jesus in everything you say and all that you do, no matter what happens, rejoice in your Savior. Notice here, he's not talking about being happy, but rejoicing in Jesus. Huge difference. Resting in the sufficiency of our Savior. But here's some encouraging news. Paul doesn't claim to say he has it all together. He's still a work in progress, which tells me that there's hope for us. Because every person in this room, every person listening and watching online, every one of us today is a work in progress. Paul says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, has called me. Are you pressing on today? I can't answer for you. You can't answer for the person next to you. But you as an individual, maybe you grew up in the church and right now you're just trying to figure out life. Let me encourage you. Press on for God. Maybe you've just been playing the church game, going through the motions, Maybe you relate a little bit to the Pharisees. 
would challenge you today, press on to God. And here's our fourth approach. We've opened that door. We've moved in. And our fourth approach is this. Don't worry. Be thankful. Don't worry. Be thankful. The Bible says don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Look at this. How do we achieve this lifestyle of thanksgiving? How do we come to the place of of settling in? How do we come to this place of of being content with a heart of gratitude? Paul summed it up here. He says, don't worry about it. Instead of worrying about it, why don't you, you pray about it instead? And, and when you're praying about it, tell God what you need, but, but don't forget to thank Him for what He's already done. Once you do this, you're going to experience a peace which surpasses all of your understanding. You'll experience a peace that was created and designed just for you. You want to know how to live with a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving? Why not turn to God? Move your focus from self to others. Model your actions after Jesus. Gain a better perspective. And finally, don't worry be thankful. I challenge you today. As we enter into a Christmas season, we're exiting Thanksgiving and into a a season of, of Christmas and celebration of Christ's birth. I want to encourage you today to change your perspective. In a season which can easily become greed, you don't believe it, go on YouTube and watch some Black Friday sale videos. Let God change your focus.